Well, good evening, everybody. It's great to see you out tonight, especially those of you who are new to MCC. You are always welcome, and we're so glad that you're here. And I know some of you are here for a very intentional special purpose as you come to celebrate life change with your family. Others of you are here by divine appointment, and that is that God has set up tonight to be the night that you would choose to be here, and we're glad that you are here. Join me in welcoming a few very special people. Last weekend, we had several people come home to the family here at MCC. So let's just run through each one, and let's give a big hoop and holler for each one. First of all, Callie Young, who was baptized last Saturday night. Way to go, right? Awesome. Good job celebrating. Jimmy Poppy Dunn right back there in the back. And his daughter, Teresa, we're so thrilled to have their family here. You've lost your enthusiasm already. I know that my timing wasn't right, so let's try this next one. Miles, Kim, and Evelyn Carmony, right? And then sweet Mackenzie Hurst, one of our teens who came and placed her membership after being baptized at camp this summer. Let's give it a holler, great. Great. Now, there are two more people, and there are several that aren't in the room tonight, but there are two that are on my mind extra tonight, as all of you are when you're not able to be here. And these two, one of them is here all the time, and he recently began playing the box over here on Wednesdays with us, and that is our own Luke Yule. And Luke has some stuff going on physically. And I know it's so hard for him to not be here. And Luke, it's hard for us to not have you here. But I'm glad that you're watching online and we can't wait for you to be back. Let's give Luke just a big shout. And then Howard Clausen, it wasn't but just uh, maybe eight years or so ago that he came as a widower and added so much to our crowd here on Saturday nights and to Bible study on Thursday mornings. And he's home on oxygen, and it's getting more and more difficult for him to even get out to the things that he has to do. But Howard listens and watches every Saturday night, sometimes again on Sunday morning, and he's always that first one. If it's a difficult sermon, he gives me the thumbs up or the thumbs down. And I appreciate that, Howard, so much. So let's thank Howard for watching with us and and all the others. Now listen, I love to celebrate what's going on in life, but tonight's subject is one that is very, very important. And it's important because every one of you in this room are here because of this topic that we are going to look at tonight. You ask Miles and Kim Carmony, you, you look at sweet Evelyn, you talk to Mackenzie, one of our teens, you talk to Poppy back there, anyone that we listed tonight that came home either to place their membership or to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their life, and you ask them how they got here, and they will tell you it's because of someone's personal invitation. Someone cared enough to walk across whatever it was, their living room at home, the internet, by setting up what we have here to be able, people to be able to log on and watch from YouTube or any of those platforms. 
But someone cared enough to overlook their own fatigue, their own frustrations in life, to come to each one of us. For me, it was my parents who cared enough from the day I was born to make sure that I was in the house of God every weekend. And I know they sacrificed. I know they sacrificed raising us kids. I could give you the ways. But they sacrificed their parties. They sacrificed times when their friends wanted them to be away to make sure that I got to know Jesus Christ. And maybe that was your story, or maybe it was a church camp experience, or maybe it was through an addiction that someone introduced you to the 12-step program and the God of your understanding you later discovered to be the God, the God of the Bible, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who rescued you. But the point is, is that someone took the time to talk to you. And that's the question that we address this evening. And that is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is worth knowing? And how willing, how far are you willing to go to make that introduction, to make that invitation? Is there a zip code that you've excluded? Is there a person so undeserving that you would withhold Christ from them? Are you willing to be told no or told off? How far? Romans chapter 10 verse 14 poses this very question. How then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone telling them? And how can anyone tell them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray. Father, last week when we were together, we spoke of the amazing transformation that takes place physically and spiritually when we surrender our life to you, our Savior and our Lord through baptism. Your Holy Spirit who comes and resides in us, sealing us and assuring us of our salvation, teaching us and leading us. It's as if our conscience is on steroids as you point us to the life and the mission that you have for us. A commission that includes your command to go into all the world, our backyards, our neighbor's workspace, baptizing them, teaching them to obey your commands. Yet it's in carrying out this command that we hesitate. We often resist your prompting, and for some, we have yet to personally see another person come to you, even those in our own family that presently reject you. And so tonight, Father, may we be counted as those who have beautiful feet because it's those feet of ours that will courageously walk across the room to deliver the truth of your word with grace and compassion that bridges the great divide. So tonight, empower us with your word. Supercharge your spirit like the dynamite that he is inside of us. And Lord, may we look to this example of our own Savior and Lord from Scripture tonight and apply his method, which is his heart, to ours. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, turn with me to the Gospel of John in your Bible. Now listen, please, 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 of all nights, this is a very important message, and I need you to have your Bible open. Turn your phone off or, or turn it to silent mode. I know some of you have to receive calls, but put it on that silent mode so it doesn't go off at the wrong time. Get off of Facebook and social media and all those things, the games right now, and open the word to John chapter 4. In the Gospel of John chapter 4, we find what may be the most helpful example of how to walk across the room and share this life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And the reason why you've got to have your Bible open tonight is we're going to read for the next five minutes straight. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you five, five takeaways from this example. And you're going to need to go back and look at the things that we highlight as we read together. So John chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 5. Have your pen ready and I want you to write on that page or highlight in your phone. For, for some of you blondes, that means don't take the highlighter and do your screen. There's a function in there that you got to, ooh, sorry, brunettes, sorry. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. So he, Jesus, this is Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Old Testament names going all the way back to the beginning. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, I want you to underline this, tired as he was from the journey. He sat down by the well, and it was the middle of the day. It was noon, verse 7, when a Samaritan woman, and you can underline Samaritan. Actually, you can just cross through Samaritan, and you can write in whatever person, whatever person that you have avoided, whatever person symbolizes that person that you would have nothing to do with if it were not for Jesus Christ. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? It says that the boys, his disciples, had gone into town to buy some food. So as I tell you, he was thirsty, he was hungry, he was tired. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're different. I'm a, you're a Jew, I can tell. I don't know how she can tell, but you're a Jew. I guess the outfit. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You're a jock, right? I'm a, I'm a uh, what do you call them, nerd, right? You're a techie. I'm a flunky. I, you know, whatever. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. What are you doing talking to me? Verse 10, Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, verse 11, the woman said, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, whoever drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 15. 
The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Totally misunderstood. He told her, go, call your husband, bring your family and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, now I want you to underline this because I want you to imagine in your mind the tone of Jesus's voice. I want you to think about what your tone would be if you were in the middle of this conversation or maybe the tone that someone used with you back when you were that person that you don't dare talk to today. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man that you now have that you're shacked up with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared... I am the one, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? They just sat there like a bunch of dummies. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, that's another good thing to underline, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town, made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, come on, Rabbi, come on, Jesus, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, did he have a snicker bar in his backpack? <laughs> My food, Jesus said is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and other reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now, 
just as we read this long passage, there are a whole bunch of things that we could talk about here. What's worship look like? What does he mean you worship here, but you worship what you do not? We talk about a whole lot of things, but tonight, tonight we're talking about this woman and we're talking about Jesus and the interaction that the two of them have. And there are five takeaways that Jesus gives us clearly that will help us take our next step toward that person, that Samaritan that we have in our life that needs a relationship with him. The first is this, we are to build bridges. We are to build bridges over divides instead of deepening them. We are to build bridges instead of divides, instead of jumping down in the divide and making it bigger and bigger and bigger. The first thing I want us to notice is that Jesus is not intimidated by this lady's race, religion, gender, background, the filth that's going on in her life, the mistakes that she has made. <coughs> Yet these things are often barriers for us. I want you to also notice that he isn't held back by his fatigue, his own thirst, or his own needs. He was thirsty. He was tired. I'm sure his feet hurt, and he was probably hungry, given that the boys had gone on into town to McDonald's. Yet these things are the very things that you know in your heart, as well as I do, that hold us back at times. Any excuse that we can find. Jesus' presence in Samaria, the town of Sychar, is evidence that Jesus was willing to go where no one else, at least most, wouldn't. And may it be known of us that we will go any place to see one more come to Christ. These people, the Samaritans, they looked different, they spoke different, they lived different than the Jews, of which Jesus was one. My first ministry was up in Scottsburg. It was my kind of my home church. I started out at Southeast in Louisville when I was a baby and was dedicated there. And about the fourth, fifth grade, we moved to Scottsburg, joined a Christian church up there, and that's where I became an elder, a deacon. I served in various ways and, and went into my first ministry position as a worship pastor for about nine years before going full-time into ministry. And, and over that time there, there was an, a, 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 an unspoken, even though it was spoken clearly, but there was an unspoken rule. And that was, we were instructed as staff to never be seen entering a local tavern. Or you say, well, that, that makes sense. But you guys also know who've been in taverns that they have the best food. And you're talking to a guy that loves to eat. But we were told you will never, you will never enter that tavern where you can get a great hamburger, you can get great onion rings, you can get a great Thanksgiving dinner nowadays. Because on the other side, in the other room, that's the place where a lot of people go in town at the end of the day to throw back a cold beer or two and to have conversation with people. So don't you ever be seen going into that place. Well, as soon as my ministry ended at that church, the first place I ate lunch was at that tavern. <laughs> and over the next two years, I saw at least two people come to Christ. 
two that began attending church regularly right here who hadn't attended in years. I presided over the funeral of at least one or more of those men who used to come at the end of the day to throw back five or six beers because he was trying to drink away the brokenness of his life. I presided over his funeral and later comforted his mother and ended up doing a funeral service for a priest, which never happens. And I never had a drink in that place other than water. But my point is just by choosing, just by choosing a different place to eat lunch and intentionally building a bridge instead of digging deeper a divide, Hearts were changed. The biggest heart was mine that was changed. In verses 9 and 10, this Samaritan woman, she recognized that Jesus was from the other side of the divide. Yet he was there. And not only was he there, but he spoke to her. And he begins building a bridge with a simple request in verse 7. That's why I had you underline it. These are bridge-building conversations. Will you give me a drink? Will you give me a drink? It's just like my conversation that first time on the square. Can I have a hamburger, fries, and ice water? <laughs> it's where the conversation begins. What does the other side of the divide look like to you? And here's some questions. I think I might have put them in your outline. It's been five days and two ditches since I, I did that. But here are a few questions that we need to ask ourselves. First, does the Holy Spirit have my ear in situations when I'm with people from other backgrounds? Who, who am I listening to? Am I listening to me? Am I listening to some judgmental person that I'm afraid might be critical of me if they see me walking out of the tavern? Am I actively seeking opportunities where I am stretched, even a little uncomfortable, like sitting down with someone from another generation? How many veterans do we have in the room today? I know you're the last to raise your hand, so if you're sitting next to a veteran, help them up. But please, will you please stand so we can honor you? Please, veterans. Please, I know there's more. <clears throat> Sincerely, thank you. Last night I was in an event in Louisville where thousands attended in uh, wherever we were at, Freedom Hall. And the first thing that I noticed was we prayed to the God of the Bible before the event started. It had nothing to do with Christianity. In fact, there were Coors lights all around me in the stands. I even told Sarah, you got to put it down during the prayer, right? <laughs> but they prayed. But one of the neatest things that they did in the middle of this event had nothing to do with the event was they brought out a 96 or 98-year-old World War II veteran, 98-year-old veteran, and they put him in the spotlight. And what I loved was that there were two young generations. One was a Marine and the other I didn't recognize as her uniform, her uniform. But they brought him out arm in arm and we celebrated this man and his achievements in bringing freedom to people that he does not even know. And let me say, quite frankly, people who are very disrespectful today of people who have given 
their all, even if that was four years away from the freedom of their family and homes. The reason I bring this up tonight, yes, it's Veterans Day weekend, but the reason why I bring it up is how many vets have you thanked this week? How many of you sat down and had conversation with them? Questions like, tell me where you served. That had to have been a big sacrifice to be away from your family. Did you have a relationship with God or were you all alone when you were on that beach in Normandy? You see, when I'm tired or when I'm thirsty or when I'm up to my eyeballs and my own needs and wants, that's when it matters. Am I willing to engage the opportunity that God gives me to build a bridge? I don't care if you take big steps or little steps, my friends. As Christians, we are to take a step toward building a bridge. Second, always be intentional about the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Now, this could apply to a lot of situations, right? Always be intentional about the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Boy, I could give you example after example. In fact, this week, I hate it when I speak on certain subjects because that means that Sarah and I get to live through it. And poor Sarah, she bore the brunt of it this week. I'm telling you. If I could tell you the things that it would embarrass her and I don't want to dishonor her, believe it or not. But it hurts so deep this week because some parasite did not think before he opened his mouth asking just a very innocent thing. I can't impress on you enough to think ahead about what you're going to say as you're walking across the room to build that bridge. Now, I don't say this to scare you. Let, let, me, let me give you an example. It's been this way since I turned 40, which was 14 or 15 years ago. But I, I know you, I, I know almost every person's name in this room. But when I'm after I've done preaching or when I'm on my way to do something, sometimes I see one of you and I can look you in the eye and I have no idea what your name is. That makes sense? And, and, and I hate it. I, I mean, I hate it with a passion because it's one of the most important things to me is to know someone's name and at least be able to call them by their first name. But I just, I can't, I'm struggling with that and it bothers me. But the one thing that I can do is if I see you, I can grab up my little gray book that is my brain right now that has every one of your names written in it if I've, when I first met you here. And I wrote a little description to help me remember you. Ugly with glasses, right? Or, yeah. Big smile but tooth missing on the left, right? But I try to get your name in my mind. Sometimes I'm saying it over and over and over again as I'm walking up to you. Or I'll just humble myself and I'll open up my book and I'll have my finger on it. I'm like, are you Gary? I'm, you know. And I have a conversation. Now, I want you to take that, and I know it's silly, but I want you to escalate that just a little bit. I want you to think about conversation starters. I want you to think about what you're going to say. And here's the reality, is that there are people around you every moment of the day. And so that takes some level of consciousness. 
to have in your mind. And that's why I want to, why I want to impress on you this story of Jesus. I want you to remember the woman at the well, not because she asked where they should worship or, or why he's talking to her, but I want you to think about just the simple interaction that happened. Hey, could you give me a drink? Well, what do you mean? Well, you're kind of sitting next to the well. <laughs> you, you, you got a bucket in your hand. Would, would you mind to give me a drink? Hey, I, I see you're wearing a VFW hat. Did you or a family member serve? What, what branch did you serve in? Thank you for your service. You, you see how those conversations start? After 9-11, after 9-11, how many years ago that was? How many of you had a conversation that started like, where were you when that happened? I remember that day, the March 4th tornado, 11, 12 years ago here in Henryville. How many conversations did we have? And how many doors did those very simple, those very intentional things that came out of our mouth, how many things, how many doors did God open up with that? In verse 13 and 7, Jesus was sitting beside a well. He asked about water. It was intentional. What did the woman walk all day for in the heat of the day? Water. What did Jesus come to offer her? Water. <laughs> water. Third, never forget. Never forget that you're dealing with a real person with real needs. You know, I, really, I don't think this is it for you. In fact, I, I know most of you, I'm pretty sure this isn't it. But we don't talk to other people about Jesus so that we can say, well, I talked to somebody about Jesus this week. That one up there, that one's mine. I, I don't think we're there. But never forget that you're dealing with a real person with real needs when you're having these walk across the room conversations. Why do you think a person chooses, my friends, to get out of their car and come into this gathering for the first time? Are they looking for a McNugget, for a hamburger? Are they looking for someone to tell them, hey, when you come in here, you need to take your hat off, son? Are they looking for someone that's gonna look them up and down and then just kinda turn away? You think that's what they're looking for when they come in this place? They come in here looking for something they can't get at McDonald's. They come in this place looking for something that they will not get anyplace else in the world. And I want you to notice how patient Jesus was with this Samaritan woman. Jesus treated her with dignity and encouragement instead of judgment and condemnation. Yes, Jesus was God in the flesh. And yes, he had access to the foul cabinet of her life. But the point isn't that he told her that she had five or six previous husbands and the man that she was shacked up with wasn't. The point was is that he didn't rub it in her face. Instead, he chose to fan a future flame inside of her. And how do I know this? That's why I said I want you to underline and I want you to think about the tone that he used. 
because we didn't get to hear it firsthand. But here's what we do know is that that woman ran all the way to town to tell other people that this man knew everything about her life, and yet he spoke to her. They shared a glass of water together. They talked about what matters most to her. I want you to think about the encounters that you have right here in this building. God brings sometimes as many as 25 people some weekends who are new to MCC. My friends, are you meeting them? Are you intentional about speaking with them? Are you validating the negative connotations people have about the church? Or are you intentional about changing those by being friendly, welcoming, and not staring? Are we listening well in order to understand? Do we realize that most are facing some challenging circumstance and the last thing that they need is to be shut down? I recently asked a group of adults here at this congregation, a group of you that I love dearly. I am one of you. But I asked them how many of them had intentionally spoken to, smiled at, encouraged a young person earlier in that day when we had gathered for worship, and only one in eight acknowledged that they had. We have more young people in this church than all the churches around us combined. Yet only one of eight of us are intentionally smiling and encouraging and speaking to them. Young people, I could ask the same of you. How many of you are intentional about not running in front of someone and getting through the door before they get through the door? How many of you are intentional about seeing someone that's just a little bit older to letting them go in front of you in the line? How many of you are intentional about saying thank you for providing a place for me? How many of you are intentional about reaching out to the people who dropped you off at the door and loving them enough to say, I really wish you would come and sit with me? You know, I love it that you all sit together and I want you to sit together and I want you to bring your friends and sit next to you. But when your friends bring their parents, don't take their friend and bring them over here. You go with them. And you go across the room and you sit with them and you help them encourage their parents because there are parents in this room that are receiving Jesus Christ and coming to him because you young people have been led to him and you're now willing to reach back out across that divide yourself. Fourth, be prepared for diversions in the conversation. (laughs) Be prepared, I've got a list of them. And don't get discouraged. Don't get discouraged. Understand that diversions are going to come. I mean, Jesus, these bozos, they've been following him and seeing all the things that they, here they come carrying their McDonald's sacks. Hey, you want, want something to eat? And he's right in the middle of this, this amazing conversation with this woman. They don't even say hi to her. Can you imagine how parents feel when they come with us? <laughs> Or when a friend comes with us and we're like, hey, hey, you, you know what? I got a new boyfriend. I just had this one yesterday, but I got a brand new one today. You got to meet him. <laughs> hey, right? And when we look right past him, 
Or, or hey, did, did, did you, did, could you believe how loud Greg was on those drums this morning? And there's a brand new person sitting right there next to you. What in the crap? <laughs> I mean, what, 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 what kind of message are we sending to them? These distractions that are all around us. I love it. In verse 20, the Samaritan woman tries to get Jesus off track when she starts haggling with him over which mountain people should go to worship on. What about all the hypocrites people will ask you when you invite them? Does your preacher talk about homosexuality and how I'm supposed to respond to that in my life? Doesn't it, does it really matter where I go to church just as long as I go? I shared with you a time I visited a friend's father to specifically ask him about his salvation. I went to high school with this girl. We, we were friends. And I went to her house because I developed a relationship with her dad. And this was years after high school. And I got to thinking about him, Fred. And so I went to see Fred at his house. And I had worked it up, right? I, I, I was intentional about what I was going to say to him. I sat down in his living room. He's watching a show on his great big TV back before everybody had a big TV and I'm sitting there in this rich man's house and, and I look over at him and I said, Fred, you, you know, I've always, I've always enjoyed my time with you. But I, I came to ask you a question. What's your relationship with, and as soon as I got the word with, that volume on the TV went from 10 to 500. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I'm, I mean, if one of us had passed gas, we wouldn't have heard it, Right? It would have been a surprise snuck up on us. It was so loud. A diversion. It was a diversion. And so I sat there for a few minutes. I thought, well, Lord, what do I do now? I didn't prepare for this one. And finally, the volume started coming down. I said, hey, I'm, I'm not here to put you on the spot. I'm here because I care for you. And if, you're, if this is your living room, if you don't want to do this, it's okay. It's all right. What do you do about the diversions that are going to come? Are you going to chase them down those little rabbit trails? Are you going to say, hey, I'll get you the answer to that question? Or, hey, I'll tell you about some of the hypocrites that I've seen. Let's do that later. Would you mind if we just, if we just talk for just a minute about you and God, not everybody else and God? But be prepared for those things. Finally, offer them the hope that you found personally in Jesus Christ. Offer them the hope that you have found personally in Jesus Christ. When Jesus pointed people to faith, he unapologetically told them that the life he offered was the real thing. He compared. He compared it to a pearl of great price, right? A treasure worth giving up everything to attain. How do you describe your life with Christ? And just as important as your verbal description is how does your life and your actions, your consistency or inconsistency, is it visible or does it shift like sand because your life and relationship with Christ is based on how you feel at the moment? not on obedience and truth and faithfulness? Is it even hypocritical in that you say you believe one thing and then live another way? To the weary, Jesus promised rest for their soul. 
To the grieving, he brought comfort and consolation. To the sick and dying, he gave eternal life and new bodies. To those filled with shame and regret, he brought grace and forgiveness. To those with destructive habits, he set them free. And to the lonely, he listened. And with the proud, he was patient. What hope have you found in Jesus Christ, my friends? That is what you take when you walk across the room. And that's how you start building the bridge. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone telling them? And how can someone tell them unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I am a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I am a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast judgmental glances, though you don't really take the time to look at me or even get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and otherwise what's the point in doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look at my face and not just see two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears, but to see all that I am and could be, all my hopes, loves, and fears. That's too much to hope for, to wish for, or pray for, so I don't, not anymore. Now I keep to myself, and by that I mean the pain, pain that keeps me in my own private jail, the pain that's brought me here at midday to this well. To ask for a drink is no big request, but to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused, an outcast, a failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You're a man of no distinction, though of the utmost importance, a man with little reputation, at least so far. You whisper and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about, and you take the time to really look at me, but don't need to get to know me for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known, and you know me, you actually know me, all of me and everything about me, every thought inside and hair on top of my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, my past and my future, all I am and could be, you tell me everything, you tell me about me. And that which is spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence, you say I am he. To be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, sinners and saints, who should hear what you've told me, who should see what you've shown me, who should taste what you gave me, who should feel how you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved. And to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do need it for our own. Have you come tonight needing that? To be known, to be loved, to have someone who sees inside of you, not just what's on the outside. His name is Jesus Christ. We try our best, but we are nothing compared to him. He is the one who met the woman at the well who came from eternity and clothed himself with humanity, who has seen, known, felt, 
everything that we have. And yet he cared enough to say, come to me, who, you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Oh, this life that I'm going to give you, it's not heavy or burdensome. In fact, just like a yoke that put a couple of workers together so that we could pull together. He says, take my yoke and put it on you. His Holy Spirit, he gives to us. If you've come tonight looking, my friends, he's here. He's here through the invitation that you received to be here. He's here through the person standing at the door who welcomed you into this place tonight. He's here through this word that has been read to you. Will you come? And will you receive him? Church, you guys, you guys are spectacular. Every one of you has a story and an experience. And you have been so gracious as to let me know even a part, if not all. And there isn't one of you that doesn't have eternity to offer to someone else because of what Christ has done inside of you. And I pray tonight that as we, as we listen and as we sing this song, that there is no wall that can't be broken through. There's no darkness that can consume or hide. There is no mountain that can't be moved. Everything is possible. The question is, are you willing? David's going to be here. There are others that will stop what they're doing to come and pray with you and to encourage you to talk about your next step. I'm going to go on back to the water. And I know at least two people who are going to meet me there. And you can come as well. Let's stand together. Out of gratitude and out of a heartfelt desire, open your hearts and minds to him.